Good than usual. Let's give our full attention to God's work. Beginning at verse number three. First Timothy chapter six. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Paul has already written a lot about the dangers of false teaching in his letter here. And with that, the need for good teaching, but as you see here, there is still more to write. You notice these three verses are really all about the bad teachers. It's about their false teaching, it's about their motivation for teaching false teaching, and the effects that this false teaching has on anyone who follows it. I want to look at these verses, but ask you to consider why we need good teachers. It's the title. The big idea, the gist of the sermon I want to communicate to you this morning is this. Good teachers matter because you are affected by who they are and by what they teach. Now when I talk about good teachers, I'm not talking about those who teach well. I don't mean that people who can communicate an idea in a way that, that is clear or that can grab your attention or keep your attention. No. Specifically when we're talking about the Bible and teaching the Bible. It's less about how someone teaches it and more about what they are teaching. Very simply, you need to listen to good teachers because their ideas are going to rub off on you. And the danger of a false teacher is that their error is reproduced in the hearers. <laughs> I want you to hear how the New Living Translation puts these verses in everyday language. We were at the beginning of verse 2. Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Now Paul had finished where we left off last week at verse 2 by saying, Teach and urge these things, or teach and preach these principles. Why? Very simple, because other people are teaching something else. And so Paul is making sure that Timothy and the elders in the Ephesian churches and the Ephesian church members themselves know what should be taught, what should be learned when it comes to the Bible. And Paul tells us about these teachers first by telling us what they're not teaching. Notice, 
He calls it a different doctrine. It's a different doctrine because it doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus. It doesn't lead to godliness in the lives of the hearers. And this different doctrine is extremely dangerous. And that's just what the doctrine sounds like, or I should say what it doesn't sound like. It doesn't sound like what Jesus taught. And I'm not just talking, or Paul's not just talking about the red letters of the Bible, where he say, well, they would only quote what Jesus said. Sometimes Christians even today have this higher place for the red letters than they do the black letters. Paul's not talking about that specifically, but rather the entire uh, body of teaching that Jesus passed on to the people, either from himself or through his apostles. And he commanded them to teach whatever he had commanded them. Now, in Titus 1.1, Paul writes that the knowledge of truth leads to godliness. So if these false teachers disagree with Jesus, they're disagreeing with the truth that leads to godliness. And as we already have seen in chapter 4, godliness is to be our focus. But a different doctrine doesn't agree with Jesus' words. And it doesn't lead to the way that Jesus lived, to godliness. And I have to ask a question as I'm reading through this. Since Jesus is Lord, doesn't that make him the one that's in charge? That's what Paul even reminds us here. It's the, not the words of Jesus, it's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's got all the titles there to remind us who gets to decide what's to be taught. Who gets to decide what's true? The Lord, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So then, who are they to disagree with the Lord? They have no right to teach anything else. But they do anyway. Which then leads us to ask, why? Why would they teach something different than what the Lord has, has commanded? Why would they disagree with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he tells us because that kind of person is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. Or as in the language of chapter 1, they don't understand what they're saying or the things that they so confidently speak of. Why? Because they're proud. Because they're arrogant, puffed up with conceit, foolishly thinking that they have something better to say than Jesus did. That's what their teaching sounds like. This is what their teaching looks like. They have a sick, morbid interest in creating controversies. They love to get into word war that produces nothing good or helpful. Probably sounds interesting, probably even sounds intellectual, but that doesn't make it truth. It might be fascinating to hear something that's different, but really what they're doing is nitpicking over the meaning of words. That's what Paul is saying. And as we look down at the end of verse 5, we find out another motivation is money. They're greedy. They're covetous. They imagine that godliness is a means of gain. Or, to, to them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. But perhaps the most dangerous part of this different doctrine is what it produces. 
Notice verse 4, envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. And this different doctrine, it's not necessarily ending with the teachers. It produces these things in the hearers. Not just the people propagating it, the people swallowing it, the people believing these things. Paul is warning Timothy that this different doctrine is going to divide the church. Controversies will produce envy and strife among the people. These word wars are going to generate slander and abusive language among the church. People begin to speak the worst about each other. Evil suspicions means they're now thinking the worst about each other. Constant friction. And by then they become people depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Why? Because they departed from Christ's teaching. They're no longer hearing what Jesus said. They've listened to and followed things that are not the truth. They wandered away from it, thinking that they found something better, and all the while being robbed of the truth. False teachers disagree with the Lord, depart from the truth, divide the church, and do it all for the love of money. This is what that different doctrine produces. And do you remember how Paul began his letter in chapter 1, verse 5? He said that the aim of our charge is love. Paul says this is why we're doing what we're doing. We want the believers everywhere to be built up in love. So think about how different the results of a different doctrine are from love. Different doctrine produces jealousy and strife, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction. It comes from people who are conceited and people who love to fight, people who are deprived of the truth. Whereas Paul famously describes love to us in 1 Corinthians 13 as patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant, rude. Doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. And if you go and look at 1 Corinthians 13, all of that description of love comes in the context of teaching. Who cares if you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels? Who cares if you can if you have all prophetic powers? It doesn't matter if you can understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. If you have no love, it's just noise. All for nothing. But those who would teach a different doctrine are not building up the hearers in love. No, they're producing envy and constant friction and fighting and division within the church. So what do you need as a church, as a believer? You need good teachers. And why do you need good teachers? Well, because you need to hear what Jesus said. You, as a Christian, need to know what Jesus said, to learn what Jesus taught, to know what the scriptures say because they speak of Christ. 
You need good teachers because hopefully you're still trying to learn. Hopefully none of us thinks that we all know it all. Hopefully no one here is, 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 is fooled and deceived enough to think, I finally reached the point where I figured it all out. Hopefully you still come to church in order to listen and to learn. Hopefully you still come into the Bible to let it change you because you recognize you still need to change. Because as long as you're alive, you have room to grow. Don't ever buy into the lie that you're, you're pretty much done. No matter how old you are, how long you've been a Christian, or how much you've learned, you fall into a very dangerous trap when you think you're done. Good teachers matter because also the false teacher still exists. Different doctrine continues to seduce and lure people away from the truth. People think, well, it must be right because it sounds so smart. Have you ever heard someone say a whole lot of words, and when you really pay attention to it, you realize they didn't say anything? It happens all the time. And it's happening in churches. Unfortunately, unhealthy doctrine is still being taught in churches today. People continue to listen to and believe lies. And a teacher's error is reproduced in his hearing. Listen, you're going to become like the people you learn from. And I don't say that with the hope that you're going to become like me. My goal is to point you to Christ. To teach you what Jesus said. So that you'll follow Jesus and you'll learn from him and become like him. So it's not my priority then to sound interesting. But to teach what is sound. I hope I'm not boring. I'd love to not be ignorant. But those aren't the qualifications of good teaching, are they? I know, been here long enough to know that sometimes I say things that you don't like. Don't listen for me. I say things you don't agree with. I know, sometimes I know when I'm doing it, sometimes I don't, but I find out later on, when I've made you uncomfortable with something I've said. <coughs> because it's different than what you've heard before. Maybe it's a little bit confusing. Maybe it's even upsetting. So first, I want you to understand, I want you to believe me. It's not my intention to create confusion. I'm not trying to cause trouble within the church. You might not understand everything that the Bible says, and I don't claim to know it all either. I'm simply telling you what the Bible says, and to the best of my ability, telling you what it means. I'm not trying to impress you with fancy words. I'm trying to build you up in love. I'm trying to persuade you with the truth. So believe that when I say things to teach that make you uncomfortable or make you feel upset, I'm not doing it to hurt you. I'm not doing it to cause trouble. When I teach, when I stand before you, I am convinced of a truth. And I'm convinced that you need to know what that truth is. And I'm convinced that it's important enough, 
even if it's uncomfortable, that you need to know it so that you can do something with it. And sometimes, if we're honest, the truth is what upsets us. Now, I try to avoid what Paul here calls constant friction, but sometimes a little is necessary. Iron sharpens iron. You know how? A little friction. A little resistance. Something that challenges the way that you think or the way that things have always been. When I say things that challenge your thinking, know I know that I'm challenging your thinking and that I'm doing it for a purpose. Because I believe that there are some things that are important enough that you need to know or think about or do, even if it makes you mad. Even if it makes you uncomfortable, you need to hear it. And before you think, well, that's a little too much, that's exactly what Jesus did for his entire ministry. He went around making people uncomfortable by telling them things that they had never thought about and by calling out errors. And he did it in love. And I'm not saying that I'm Jesus, but I sure am trying to be like him. I know I'm not perfect. I could be wrong, and I have been wrong twice this year already. <laughs> the first time I thought I was wrong, but I wasn't, so I'm, I'm going wrong. I could interpret the Bible incorrectly. And there are those of us in here, we have a disagreement on how a specific passage or, or a, a, a verse or teaching is interpreted. The scriptures have already changed my mind so many times, and I expect that they will continue to do it as long as I'm alive. I want it that way, and I hope that you want it that way. So how do you know if good teaching is good teaching? What does that sound like? How can you identify any teaching if it's good or not? Since you can't just trust me, because I'm fallible. And we've heard good teaching and we've heard bad teaching and it's all been under the umbrella of Christianity. How do we figure out what good teaching is? Well, you have to ask, where does it come from and where is it going? Sound, healthy teaching is Christ-like. It sounds like what Jesus taught. That's where it came from. And it is leading to godliness. It promotes godly living. So compare teaching that you hear with Scripture, because that's your standard. That's your foundation. In Acts 17, the Bereans were commended because it says they received the word with eagerness and examined the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Read the context. Paul was teaching them things that they had never put together. He was talking to Jews who knew the Torah but had never seen Christ in the Torah. He was telling them things that they had never heard and never considered. And instead of immediately dismissing, as they did often in these Jewish synagogues, instead of getting upset, they looked at the scriptures and said, I wonder if what Paul is saying lines up with what the Bible says. And sure enough, it does. And they believe. See, good teaching isn't decided by whether or not you agree with it. Good teaching is not determined by what we think. Or what we have always believed. If it lines up with that, then it must be good. No, no, no. Good teaching is not decided by what keeps your attention. I can tell jokes and stories and never tell you anything what Jesus said and keep your attention, but that's not good teaching. 
Good teaching isn't what sounds interesting. It sounds, well, if it's confusing, it must be really smart. And good teaching isn't even persuasive. That's not what determines good teaching. Good teaching is determined by if it agrees with what Jesus taught. If it lines up with Scripture. So when you're trying to find out if something is right, just ask. Does the Bible actually say that? Can it be shown in the Bible? Is it pretty clear from the Bible that it's there? Is it in line with what Jesus and the apostles taught? Does it lead to godliness? And if the answer is yes, embrace it. If the answer is no, dismiss it. Free to move on. Now, we may not draw the same conclusions every single time. We may come to it and say, I don't know if that's right or not. I still don't see if that's in. But you know what? A lot of the times that we get upset about things, if we just get into the Word, I think it'd be a lot clearer. There's a lot of strange ideas out there. There are tares among the wheat, and there are bad churches, even in churches today. So why do you need good teachers? Because you need to know what Jesus said. And you need to grow in love. And this is exactly why Paul wrote to this church in the book of Ephesians. God gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints. To build up the body of Christ. How will that happen? By speaking the truth in love. So that we may grow up in every way into Christ. So that Christ's body will grow and be built itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, we want to know the truth. We want to know what you have said. You have decided that it is best glorifying to you for that truth to be disseminated through clay vessels, through people who are capable of saying it wrong, misunderstanding it, or not even getting it all themselves. But this is your plan. We pray then that you might give us good teachers. We pray that we might have teachers who are qualified and capable, who are accountable, who love you and love your word and love your people. We pray that your church everywhere may have these kinds of teachers and that those who would teach something else might quickly be identified and rejected. I pray that your people, as we are bombarded with information, calling itself truth, all week long, from every angle, I pray that we might be able to recognize truth, maybe not be deceived, maybe not be suspicious when what is true is clear from what you taught and what your word tells us. Lord, all for this so that we may grow in love. Love for you, love for one another, love for your church, love for those around us. Jesus, you said we would be known 
Myron Welford. So may the teaching that is, that is given here build this church up in love so that those in our town and our community may know that we have been changed by Christ. It's through him that we pray.